what a great guest for the podcast because the topics that we cover really at the end of the day fall so squarely in a lot of the work that you do and a lot of what you talk about. And so it's really nice to have you and I want to dive right in. When I was thinking about you and the work that you do, and we'll get into all of it, I wanted to start by asking a pretty big question, which is what does perfect mean out in the world? And why is it something that we shouldn't strive for? You know, I love that question because I always get asked, what does happy mean? So I love that you started (laughs) with what does perfect mean? Because I never get asked that question ever. I think perfect out in the world, because I think perfect means something different to everybody individually. But perfect out in the world is this illusion that there is a state of being or there is an achievement that you can inverted commas, get, that is a place where no worries exist, total acceptance lies, and there are zero mistakes and zero flaws. And I think it's a sense of eternal belonging. That's kind of, I think, a bit more of a deeper response to kind of what we truly think perfect is. And so why do we strive for it? Because every single human being, we are all the same. We have three basic human needs, safety, acceptance and love. And I think we then create our lives to strive for one of those three things. And this idea of perfect feels like the solution to all three, because if you have zero flaws and are just truly wonderful from start to finish, you'll be infinitely accepted, infinitely loved, infinitely enough, and of course, safe. But obviously it's an illusion because humans aren't perfect. It's so interesting because the idea of perfection, especially as you just described it, is about acceptance. The idea of perfection, when I think about it, is very much something that you project and it's something that you're striving to feel within yourself. But really why we strive to be perfect is to be accepted. It's about this belonging and being a part of something, which ultimately I think what's kind of been mind-blowing, especially about the last couple of years on social media, is that what we relate to and what we connect with is actually the imperfection and not being perfect. Why do you think there's been this shift of anti-perfection out in the world of social media in the last couple of years? I think it was a reaction to the extreme perfection that we have been sold for so many decades. If you look at the 50s, women were projected as these perfect housewives and you had to never complain, never explain, look the part, do the part. And that kind of Stepford wife-esque version of perfection women were told to be like. And then you skip on the years and what women were encouraged to be like just took on different forms of perfection. The perfectly skinny Kate Moss 90s image. And then you went to the perfection of the Kardashians and everyone celebrated them because they were curvaceous, but they had perfect curves. So I can't have those curves. So it was just a level of perfection that I I would (laughs) never be able to get. It doesn't matter what exercise I do. I just, unfortunately, my body doesn't go like that, sadly. So I think there was this bubblingness of everybody's inadequacy and feeling like such a reject to what culturally we deemed as perfection. It was this reaction to say, okay, hands up. I'm actually imperfect. I'm imperfect. And suddenly 
we were able to unite because all of us felt not enough. All of us felt like we were somehow flawed and somehow wrong because of our warts. And actually our warts were our wonder. And that's where we've kind of, I think, met each other in this zone of truth. And we're probably in the first time in a long time where we're actually meeting people with honest conversations because we can go, oh, I can take off my mask. Social media encourages me to project this image because I want the job or I want the boyfriend, I want my dating profile because now my social media is linked to it to appear perfect. But actually it's ironic, the whole thing, because suddenly we like the people who go, yeah, I've got it all wrong. I've made this mistake. And we're like, oh my God, you're just like me. It's so funny because I find there to be a bit of pressure these days for being really real and raw. And when I was getting ready for the podcast today, I really challenged myself actually to be happy, not perfect, because I have a really big pimple on my face. And when I woke up this morning, I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And so in honor of you and all that you teach, I am currently wearing a pimple patch because I really said to myself, this is actually what it's about. And me in my 20s, I would have probably canceled. I am very OCD about my skin and I, like you, am on social media and I watch the world and all these individuals with perfect skin. And in my 20s, I used to get really upset if I had acne. And when I woke up this morning, I was like, this is a metaphor for what this podcast is all about. But inherently, it's actually quite challenging. And all day I debated, do I really wear the pimple patch? Do I take it off? Do I try and cover it up and pretend that I'm perfect? Do I wear a filter on the Zoom today? But it's like, we're going through as a society, this transformation of no longer wanting or needing to relate to those who are perfect because we've realized it's just not one sustainable or healthy. But now there's all this pressure to be really real and really raw. Do you ever find yourself feeling pressured to maybe like show more of yourself than you really feel comfortable with on social? Because that's something that I'm definitely in the thick of right now and challenging myself on today. (laughs) I'm so proud of you. I'm challenging this, again, new wave of ultra vulnerability because I ask everyone, what's the intention behind that vulnerability share? I feel like what you've just shared is so honest and actually authentic and authentic is an yeah. word, but you're not saying it for any other sake apart from, oh, it's half not perfect. It's the interview. But I feel that sometimes I'm seeing across a lot of social media, this faux vulnerability, I guess. So I kind of challenge myself to, yes, it does feel awkward at times to be honest. And then sometimes I actually think to myself, well, by me sharing this, is this helping someone else? Because our words are so powerful. What we post or say has the power to make someone's day or break someone's day. And so I think I go back to the intention of vulnerability. Fundamentally, vulnerability is an amazing, amazing thing. But also, I also know it can be really triggering for other people too. So I think that there's always everything in moderation, right? I I do think it's funny how these cultural waves go so extreme before they reach their nuance again. And I think in my work, it's all about the nuance. Like there can be two truths, right? vulnerability is really important, but at the same time, is my vulnerability supporting other people or is it for the sake of myself? It's such a thin line figuring out what you just said earlier too about perfection is like, there is perfection in sort of what we look at 
of ourselves in relation to others, in relation to what society tells us perfect needs to be. But then there's also perfection as a goal or a means to belonging. There is this duality or this nuance in all of this. And I think one of the things I find so interesting about your work is you don't tell people to shut off. You don't tell people to turn off social media. You're not saying technology is bad or social media is bad. Interestingly enough, there's like a nuance, which is everything in moderation. And how do we as a society use these incredible forms of communication or connection for good, not for harm? Absolutely. Shakespeare said, there's no such thing as good or bad. Just thinking makes it so. It's so true. And there's this, like, there's this wonderful parable that I always return to. There's a man in, in the village and he has all these horses. And so the villagers come up to him and they say, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. You have all these horses. And he responds saying, maybe. And suddenly somebody left the gate open. So all the horses escaped. And the villagers came up to him and said, you're so unlucky. You've lost all your horses. And he said, uh, maybe. Then there was this big disease that broke out that spread across horses And the villagers said, oh my God, you're so lucky. Your horses escaped. You then didn't get hit by this disease that's going around. And he said, yeah, maybe. Then he has a son. You're so lucky. Maybe. Then his son broke his leg. You're so unlucky. Maybe. And then a war broke out. So the army came around to take all the boys, to take them to war and conscript them. And the villagers said, oh my God, you're so unlucky. Your son broke his leg and now he doesn't need to leave you. And so the parable just shows us that There isn't such thing as kind of good or bad or luck or unluck because we don't know, I guess, what's ahead of us. And I kind of relate that to social media too. Like how we use it is the color we place on it, is the lens we see it through. There's times you go on it, you see something inspirational and you're like, woo, I feel pumped. There's other times you go on it and it's like comparison overload. You suddenly like question your entire life and realize that you're a complete failure compared to the person's promotion you've just seen and it can make you spiral. So again, there, I guess there's like no one answer, but what is amazing about this moment in time is finally we're having this mass awareness around how it's affecting us individually and what we need to do about it and what boundaries we need to in place. There's this subliminal undertone. And in one of your TED Talks, you talk about it. You talked about how scrolling through social media, what did I just do? And you were saying how you inherently were just subliminally in some capacity comparing yourself. And it's funny, when I woke up this morning and I was scrolling through Instagram, I thought about that to myself and I thought, wow, there are so many moments where I don't even realize the negative impact that this is having on me. And I'm in social media and marketing for a living. It is what I do. And like you, I can't get off of it. It's all about how I develop a healthy relationship with it and how I use it for positive and as a positive force in my life. And quite frankly, like anything good, have boundaries with it. For entrepreneurs and creatives out there who are dreamers and who are really expressing themselves on these channels, overcoming perfectionisms and and tendencies around perfectionism is a common cycle. How do you as a creator manage this? What tools have you put in place for yourself to sort of really have that healthy relationship with social? I think you've hit the nail on the head and a bunch of points that you just shared then. First of all is to know that we are all vulnerable of being triggered by social media. We can know all of this stuff. And yet I can have had a night of bad sleep, not worked out, ate loads of food that doesn't really make me feel good. And then I'm bored and I kind of feel an uncomfortable emotion. So I'm like, oh, I really can't bother to address that now. So I'm just going to try and distract myself away from that anxiety. And I'm going to go on social media. And then suddenly I'm like, 
oh my God, my life is terrible because I'm comparing myself and you end up going down this Insta rabbit hole and you're on, and you're on some random old school friends, sisters, brothers account. And you're like, what is nothing happening to How me? How did I get here? How did <laughs> I get here? The Insta rabbit hole. And so I think, you know, we are all as vulnerable as each other. That's the first thing. And also it is really difficult when you're creative, when there is a pressure to build a business profile on this machine that can be triggering because as we know, it messes with our neurochemicals, you know, it releases dopamine if we get likes and none of us are immune to that. It's, you know, it's a a metaphorical pat on the back. We all love pats on the back. It's, it's, it's what we have been wired to look forward to and, and crave that again, that tap of validation. For me, it comes back to, if you can have a team, try to make sure that you are not solely building your business profile on it. And obviously at the beginning, for example, with Happy Not Perfect, I didn't have a team, you know, it was my job. And in that case, I very much came to the platform with this quite separated view of it, you know, like, and I think it's actually important to step back and remember that you are not your business. As soon as your identity is too much tied to your business, that's when I think social media can be triggering. If you realize that your value doesn't change, your value doesn't change for the for the entirety of your of your life, just your understanding of your value changes. You get the promotion, suddenly you feel really good about yourself. And then suddenly you go through a breakup and then you think worse about yourself. You know, like our kind of understanding of our value fluctuates, but really it shouldn't. We are wonderful and divinely epic from the start to the to the end. But so I think it's really important that you are not your business. That was a big lesson I learned because I happy not perfect then became me. The success of happy not perfect was directly linked to my self esteem. So if we weren't then doing well, I'm beating myself up and not wanting to go out and wanting to see friends because I just have to work harder and try and fix the problems. And no business flourishes at all. You end up suffocating your business because your self-worth is too attached to it. If you can see Instagram as a game, especially from a business profile, because you're not sharing your, you know, your engagement pictures, you're not sharing these like intimate photographs. It's, it's for the primary purposes of business development, let's say. I think you can come at it with a bit more of a cold perspective and, and separate your identity from it. It seems in everything that you just said to me that acceptance is very important. And I would just say in the 10 minutes we've been talking, you seem like someone who's very centered in an acceptance of yourself because a lot of what we're talking about, which is I am me and I am wondrous and I am beautiful and I go up and down just like all of us and we can all relate to the universality of that. There's something about accepting who you are that is inherent to being able to have a successful relationship with social media. In your journey and sort of the ups and downs that you've talked about, how have you been able to find some of that acceptance for yourself? Wow. I mean, I would say it is a daily struggle and daily practice because we have from such young age at the initial development stages of our psyche, we have been taught to not accept ourselves. In the book I've just written, I include these diary entries from when I'm like 12 or 13 years old. And it was so sad to read them because they're like, David Thompson broke up with me after a week. You know, it's not like I ever updated these boys for long, as if I even talked to them. Those were simple. Those were so nice and simple, those relationships. But then David then decides to dump you, even though, you know, you haven't spoken, you haven't even hold, hold hands. It's just this knowing that you're going out. And suddenly that rejection of obviously something meaningless. As a 12-year-old, I took that on as, well, I need to be better because then David wouldn't have broken up with me. 
and and same as the sports teams, you know, if, if you're at school, you didn't get picked for the sports team and immediately you turn that into evidence for, well, if I was just better, I would have been picked. Throughout our childhood, we are told over and over again, we tell ourselves over and over again, well, if I was just better, this wouldn't have happened. And so I think we are then in a continual lifelong process of deconditioning ourselves from the belief that if we were something else, everything would have been better. I think it's easy to like now, like somebody doesn't email me back and I'm like, well, if I was just a bit more, they would have emailed me back or whatever. Or if, if, you know, if you lose a pitch, you're like, well, if I just, if we just did like, and look, sometimes rationally with our adult brain, you're like, ah, potentially if I added a couple more slides on this, maybe they would have said yes or whatever, but it's not something about us. It doesn't, nothing means anything about our personal value. So I think Self-acceptance to me relates to the equation that this psychologist, William James, who is really the the good godfather of psychology, and his equation says that happiness equals expectations minus reality. And I think in that gap between what we expect life to be or what we expect for ourselves and then what re- what reality delivers, in that gap, can I, I think can take away a lot of the acceptance we have for ourselves. So I think where I've got to with acceptance is focus on the process rather than the outcome. So I, in myself, enjoy the intention of what I put into anything, but the outcome actually I can let go of and totally surrender. And so it means I totally accept myself because I'm, it's not linked to an external outcome mm-hmm. of success or measurement, because actually I've, I've actually totally taken away the value of that. And so I can accept myself because I'm enjoying the energy I'm putting in to whatever it is, whether that be something personal, like my relationships, or whether that be work-related. I resonate so much with what you just said, because I am not technically in the place of my life where young me, the child me, thought at 36 I would be. And quite frankly, not where society celebrates that Mm -hmm. I am. And I went through recently this journey, and what I uncovered in it was not only am I right where I I am, quite frankly, like I am right here. It doesn't matter really what I think. Not only am I right here where I am, but I am also completely and utterly happy with it. And more myself than I think I've actually been in other areas and times of my life. And so if I remove the expectation and I just live in the reality of it, and for a minute I say, okay, it's cool that society tells me this and that these were my expectations. But if just for one moment, I let go of those things. What do I actually think? It's actually been a really remarkable unlock for me in understanding that difference between the reality, the expectation, and then how you actually, the emotions you actually attach to something. And so why I think I saw that moment of acceptance in you was I feel like in this context, I'm in a deep place of acceptance and enjoying it for the record. And it doesn't always come, you know, it it ebbs and flows, but it's made me really think about the world of social media And if you are on social and you are looking at other people's lives and you are looking at what others are doing, you can really easily get lost in that cycle. And I think having acceptance, if you will, as a tool has been something that's been really helpful for me in managing some of what I have to, unfortunately, because of my job, look at and see every day. Comparing humans is like comparing apples and donkeys, which is so different. And also social media doesn't also help us to see the sacrifices people have made to be at the place they're in. 
we're all a product of the sacrifices we've made, the choices we've made, but also we're all in different seasons. And I truly believe we all are given the same blessings in life and the same challenges, but they just show up in different forms. And so someone's in their summer, but another person's in their winter. And one person's in their autumn and one person's in their spring. And also our reactions to those things. Someone might really resonate with a spring where another person that spring is really hard and and difficult. We're going through the different seasons, but also I can tell you like my twin sister and I, we react to life in very different ways. And what is totally cool and breezy for her could be a big challenge for me. It's really interesting when you think about it that way, because we are in different seasons and we also, some of us like the cold and some of us like the warmth. Completely. And I think we're in this amazing time of stripping away what we've been told to be like or how we've been told life should be like. And fundamentally, technology is allowing for a lot of this freedom, whether that be I've just reached my early 20s and I have the same things of like, oh my God, should I put more energy into relationships? Oh my God, my, all my friends are having children, they're getting engaged. Like, oh my God, you know, all of those like natural worries. And actually, I got told three days ago that some latest research has shown that if you, I mean, this sounds wild, so please no one fact check no, me. No, please. Because it's kind of like <laughs> this point I'm trying to make. But apparently if you take your eggs out and someone just puts your eggs, not even in your ovaries, but like in your body some way, it actually adds seven years to your life or something. Like, do you know what I mean? Like technology is going to be wild in wild. the next 40 years in yeah. terms of, Women, we have this biological clock that I think made us feel lots of different things. And that is being completely changed. And the way we see work has completely changed. Just look at the pandemic and how we've worked has seen has been completely changed. So I'm fascinated to look at the changes of our society and the fact that we have the freedom to adapt and change in the way we want to change. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's okay. That sounds so simple in theory, but it's actually very hard in practice to say, look at what you've accomplished. Look at the journey you're on in your life. Like it is okay if your version of, maybe this is where we bring it back, of happiness looks different than somebody else's. And then the challenge is that on social media, even if you're rooted in that idea and even if you're moving along and you're enjoying your life and you feel like you're on a path, you're constantly looking at your path against others. And I think that's where it becomes super challenging. And actually, you hear a lot about people taking like social media breaks or detoxes and how wonderful that can be for them. And I think part of why is because it's this momentary pause of looking at at others and allowing yourself to look inwards. By the way, I would also just say that For every one of us, there are those out there that I think are, can be part of, or in your tribe, your story of what you just talked about in your life resonates deeply with me. And probably your life is one that I admire or aspire to more than let's say a different path. So I think one of the positive things about social media in terms of how we are starting to unlock that transparency and that openness is that there is sort of a story for everyone. And what resonates with me and what I connect with might not be something that somebody else does. And that's okay. That's where I think it's becoming quite beautiful, maybe. Absolutely. And I think essentially these are primal fears. Goes back to what we were discussing at the beginning. We are tribal animals. The reason why we're alive, the reason why we survived, the reason why our species survived is because we had tribes to look after each other. And, you know, we've become more separated physically, but I think we're all trying to work out actually, how do I 
come home to that sense of belonging and we're we're redefining what belonging is and what that means to us and also that maybe mean finding a tribe online that's different to the one that you were geographically located with and this is why I think there's always a freedom when you do meet these like best pals later on in life because I think the older you get you have more choice in who you want to be friends with and you just meet this terrific person and you're like oh my god oh my god totally validated me and you make me feel so safe and you make me really celebrate how I've lived Mm. my life because I've just met you and you clearly like believe the same things as me so I think you know social media is a really really odd odd thing and it also only allows someone to be a 2d version of themselves and we are Mm. 3d human beings and even though there are these inverted commas like vulnerability shares, we're still not sharing the entirety of our lives because also that's okay. Some of our most intimate sharings should be with our closest family and friends, should be for the people we really trust. It doesn't need to be for the many millions of people that can stumble on our profile because mm. how can you be one person? Is your work the same as your intimate self? It's the same as the the self you are, you know, to your parents, to the, be lovely to think we are just that one, we are one person, but we're not. You have different friends for different reasons. Like I love Chloe because we go out on a night out, but I love Sophie because we meditate. And I love Gemma because she really intellectually challenges me. We're so many different people and social media suggests that we are one. And I think we confuse ourselves with brands. Brands can be consistent. People can't. And I think that's where sometimes the confusion comes online too, because we suddenly have these like self-questioning life moments of like, oh, who am I? And actually, the fact is we can be many things all at once. I have this mindfulness teacher who actually has been on the Fahrenheit podcast. Her name is Mitra Manesh. And many years ago, I was actually struggling with balancing my femininity and my masculinity. I was showing up at work every single day like a boss, like having to push through and have a seat at the table and lean in and get things through the door. And when I came home to my partner at night, I felt really challenged with being all of a sudden this like feminine woman. That switch for me just couldn't flip. And I remember going through this process with her and feeling really down on myself about it and feeling really negative and feeling really like I wasn't perfect. Why can't I be this person that can do this? And in the journey, one of the things that she taught me was about the many selves. She sort of said something that I think is really funny where she was like, if the me that showed up in this class with you showed up in bed with my partner, how awkward would that be? (laughs) And like, yes, we can be vulnerable and we can be honest and real, but the Farron that is going to show up with my boyfriend versus the Farron that's going to show up today on this podcast versus the Farron that needs to lead in a challenging moment with my team is different. And that is okay. And I love the idea of really being able to celebrate it. In that, by the way, the Farron that's on this podcast with you right now might be cool sharing this on social media, but maybe the Farron that's dealing with something else over here doesn't feel comfortable sharing it. And I think that's where this pressure of vulnerability, I think where there's a dangerous line actually. And whereas years ago we were fighting against the idea of perfectionism, I think we walk a thin line today of that pressure of vulnerability. For creators and entrepreneurs out there who are starting businesses and who are trying to figure out their role on social media, what advice could you give them about this idea of balancing the perfectionism and the vulnerability? So in my book, I talk about flexible thinking. That is the philosophy Mm. that the whole book is about. Flexible thinking is a method that you can apply to anything. 
And it reminds you that you can bend and stretch and we are never stuck or stiff. And our biological hardware makes us want to be stiff. We're brittle. We have blind spots. We have a negative bias. And we feel like we've got to be this one person or do something this one, one way. And we have to be right. Whereas when you step into the world of flexibility, you realize that anything can change. So don't feel like anything's so final. And the four steps of flexibility is one, connection. How do you really feel? Curiosity and ask questions, investigate why you're feeling the mm. fear or why you, you know, why you have this relationship with social media. Like, where is it coming from? And is it even true? Number three, the choice to be kind towards yourself and do what is best for your most compassionate self. And four, Commit to action that is aligned with your highest values, with your best self and ask questions like, hmm, what would my most inspirational self do right now? And suddenly you're able to kind of tap into this higher self that sometimes doesn't always show up with us because we may be managing fear or going through any other struggles, but we can always tap in. We can always ask those questions. What would my best self do? Well, she would do this. And then we suddenly are able to tap into a different part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, the wise part. And that is where everybody will find their answer to that question. Often we're so good at advising other people, but we're terrible at advising ourselves. And that's only because we're working from a different part of the brain. When we're trying to advise ourselves, usually our emotional center is overactivated. But if you ask questions like, what would I advise a friend experiencing what I am now? we start to activate the prefrontal cortex and then we start to are able to advise ourselves. So I think the answer is different for everyone, but I would suggest the flex method for anyone who's, who's wanting to understand their own answer. The idea of what advice you would give to a friend versus yourself is such a powerful one because I think inherently we are our own hardest critics and we put so much pressure on ourselves that we generally wouldn't put on a friend. If you have a standard that you would put on your friends or your family, that standard is arguably much higher or far greater to accomplish for yourself. And so I love this idea of flexible thinking and bringing that in to how we approach these situations. Why did you write Happy Not Perfect? Where did the book idea come from? And how did you become so passionate about this topic? I realized that I've, I've been researching the mind and I how to navigate this crazy modern world that we've created. And I remember this quote, the human ability to create is so much faster than the human, human ability to adapt. And we spent so much time creating this fast technology, these wonderful worlds, but yeah, we're now struggling to adapt to them. We are overloaded, we're emotional, we're infoxication, we're overloaded with information. For example, the brain receives 11 million pieces of information a second and the conscious brain can only process 50. So we are constantly having to choose which information we are going to focus on, which is overwhelming. And I suffered chronic stress and anxiety. I had a complete health meltdown because of my perfectionism, because I was putting so much pressure on myself, because I was striving for, for success, because I was so desperate. And I thought that was the answer to my insecurities that I totally broke down. And through this health breakdown was really the reason why I suddenly thought, okay, if I want to fix something, I've got to understand how it works in the first place. And so that's why I developed the Happy Not Perfect app as the first kind of interactive mind gym, gamifying the main pillars of positive neuroscience to get the information out in a public domain and in a democratic way. Because at the time, it's back six years ago, it was really difficult to get any of this information about how can we wire our brains to work for us, not against us. 
And then I got the opportunity to write the book and I umdenard and thought, should I write it now? I suddenly thought like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to forget the time of life I'm in. Usually you wait kind of way longer in your career and suddenly, you know, you're in your fifties or sixties and you write a book. And actually I'm like, no, because the struggles that we are going through as like millennial and Gen Z and X is a very different world to what most of these books were written for. And the pressures that we have on our life are very different at this moment in time. And so that's when, when I was researching, I really stumbled upon this concept of flexible thinking and found it to be such a solution and method that I could apply to everything, just like our bodies. If we don't stretch our bodies, they become stiff, lethargic and, and painful. And our brain is the same way. If we don't continually stretch our thoughts through connection, curiosity, the choice to be kind towards ourselves, committing to action aligned with our highest values, we also will become stuck. And so it was a path to freedom that I really wanted to share with people. In writing Happy Not Perfect, the book, but also in building the app, what have you learned through this community? You talked about tribes earlier before. What has the tribe of the Happy Not Perfect community taught you during this process? That we're all in this together. Like no one has an easier time in life. It's so easy to go, oh, why does this always happen to me? Or like, no one else has to go through these struggles. Like, why does everything fuck up? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, every day, every <laughs> yeah. day. And then you realize you're like, oh gosh, we're all in this together. We are all trying our best. And it really helps, I think, everyone just to have so much more compassion for ourselves and for others. Because we don't know the battles that other people are going through, mm-hmm. despite how glossy their Instagram feed looks, or despite how inverted commas successful they look. That great saying, if we all threw our problems in the air, we'd probably catch our own. And I feel like this wonderful tribe, we just remind each other of our humanity. What you just said reminds me a lot about why I started the Fahrenheit podcast to begin with, which was... I had been on this sort of entrepreneurial journey my whole career and I had these really sexy, fancy jobs and I was getting all this notoriety and there was so much ego in what I was doing. And then I started going down the path of becoming an entrepreneur. And I honestly thought I would fail and I thought I couldn't do it because society had kind of told me I didn't have the tools or the money or the background or the education to do it. And then I went and did it. And I kind of felt like for the first time I was in on this like joke And the joke was, we all go through the same shit. We are all the same. No one is better than you. And you are capable of doing anything you set your mind to. And genuinely in my heart of hearts, the reason that I started the podcast was to send that message. I also wanted to send a signal that, hey, I am now a founder of a company. I am all the things that I thought I couldn't be. And let me tell you from this position what hasn't changed. All my problems, all my insecurities, all my fears. I really genuinely believed, again, when I was younger and maybe from the outside looking in and maybe from some of the perfectionism that was a huge part of social media in the early days, I believed that there was the end result, the expectation. If you become a founder, these are the things that are going to happen. If you become a successful entrepreneur, these are the things that are going to happen. And in the end, it was just me trying my best, exactly the same as six months before when I wasn't. And so I think what's so interesting about all the stories we uncover here at Fahrenheit is that there's just these basic universal fundamental truths. And the beauty of right now, where there are incredible people like you out there, not afraid to talk about it, not afraid to share it. And obviously through your book and through your app, doing that, that exact thing. Couldn't agree more with you. 
What do you think is in store in the future of social media? Brands are removing likes. Platforms are removing likes like Instagram recently just announced. Do you think that we're going to see a wave of the technology becoming healthier? And what do you think is in store? I think exactly that. I think we're all kind of tired of comparing ourselves. And I think the switch of generation is coming. So if they don't change, I think they're going to have a lot less people engaging with them because I think we're all realizing our mental health means more. And our happiness means more. And okay, we miss out on a couple of things, but is our happiness and self-acceptance worth more than a couple of likes? I think the switch off generation and making online places safer, psychologically safer, is the future. I might as well just go for it. But how do you see happiness? What does happiness mean to you? Happiness means to me flexibility because happiness is, is fleeting. It's never going to stay for long. And I think the barrier to happiness is our fear and the fear that we may meet challenges. But when you know that you can stretch and bend around any challenge that may meet you in the future and you actually know that every challenge is sent to strengthen us, I think it allows us to have this real deep sense of happiness because we have self-trust that if we're birds and the twig breaks beneath us, we, we've got wings. We, we remember we have wings. And to me, that's happiness, is this sense of flexibility. We can bend and stretch to whatever comes our way and self-trust that we always have wings to fly. Poppy, thank you so much for today. I had such a lovely conversation with you and I'm so excited to read your book, Happy Not Perfect. Congratulations on the launch and all of your success. I hope there's more of you out in the world. Oh, thank you. I loved our chat. I felt like me too. everything that you've said, I'm like, mm-hmm, me too. Me too. Yes, me too. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this, you know, you just really get it. And I think it's just so beautiful how you've taken this ideology and translated it into all of these different forms of community, of connection, of technology, of literature, really for a generation that I think hasn't had so many voices. And I think, again, there's these extremes of like, be off of social media, don't be a part of it. But it is a part of our life. It is a part of our world. And for those in the Fahrenheit community that are listening, for many of us, it's our work and we don't really have a choice. And so I think this idea of like, first and foremost, acceptance of flexible thinking and of having boundaries and a really healthy relationship with all of these tools is a very powerful one. So Thank you again. It was lovely. It was lovely seeing you again. It was lovely (laughs) seeing you again. I know. I love it. 